Uh, we're going to be doing a standalone sermon today. Uh, so when he comes back, we'll kick off Habakkuk, which is it's just a small uh, prophetic book in the Old Testament. It's about three chapters. It'll be a seven-week series. Uh, and it's a really relevant book because it's about evil and injustice and suffering and, and God's sovereignty and control over those things. Uh, and one of the main characters in that book is, is a prophet named Habakkuk. And it's just a, he's expressing his honest struggles and difficulties that he's having with uh, the evil and injustice that the people uh, of, of Israel are experiencing and how God can be sovereign over those things. So it'll, I'm sure it'll be uh, a great blessing and very helpful to many of us here because we've all experienced different levels uh, of suffering and injustice. Some of us may be going through those now. So, um, and also, in addition to the, to, the, to the sermon series, we're also providing a, a study guide to go along with it, and it's going to match each week that we're the text that we're preaching from. That'll be available no later than next Sunday when we kick the service off. It'll just, you'll just kick on the, uh, click on the Habakkuk uh, graphic when you go to the website, and the PDF document will come right up. So print that off, enjoy it. Uh, hopefully that's a, that's a great blessing to you. Uh, and then to go along with the Habakkuk series, we're also, the second announcement is that we're kicking off our spring semester of growth groups next Sunday, April. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Yes. Those are our growth group leaders. They're really excited, as you can tell. Uh, April 22, uh, we're kicking our spring semester off of growth groups. It's our last semester of the ministry year, and then we take the summers off. The leaders uh, love leading those groups, and I'm sure they're going to love the summer break as well. Uh, but today, if you guys notice the barstool tables in the hallway, uh, today, the, the, every time we have a, a new semester of, of growth groups, what we're going to try to do is do this thing called Group Connect where it's just an opportunity for you after the service to just briefly have a face-to-face -face interaction with any of the groups that you might be uh, interested in joining. Uh, and then registrations are going to open up for the groups online at 12.30 today. Uh, I'll just kind of do a little, press a little special button online, and then you can just click on the growth groups uh, graphic on the website, and it'll take you straight to everyone's profile. Uh, and then you can just click on the registration link, and it'll, it's really simple. Uh, and then the leaders will follow up with you the following uh, week. Uh, so with this idea of growth groups coming next week, uh, Pastor Mike and I, we talked a lot about what, what should I uh, preach on this week, and we thought I'd just preach on uh, the topic of how important community is for your Christian walk. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles, you guys can go there. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Um, and I've, I've done this before, I'm just going to recite the text to you uh, from memory. It's just three verses. It's really not impressive. My daughter could memorize three verses, so uh, this is not uh, that impressive. It's more, whenever the, the, my experience has been, whenever someone has said the word of God to me, it's been very powerful. Uh, and also to encourage scripture memorization in this church. Uh, I'm trying to memorize Romans 5, and there's also another guy, actually, uh, from my wife and I's growth group that he and I are trying to memorize Hebrews 12 together, just on the uh, the importance of God the Father and how he disciplines those who are truly his children because uh, uh, we all have had uh, some good experiences, some tough experiences with our fathers and so the Heavenly Father uh, from Scripture, it restores any sort of brokenness, broken understandings we might have. Uh, but let me just, I'm gonna say the text to you uh, and then I'll pray and we'll dive, dive right in. So Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed 
we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray. Father, we, we sing in the victory of the cross. May I preach in the victory of the cross. I'm standing on the promise of new life. We stand on the promise of new life that, that your son, Jesus, has shed his blood to purchase. The value of his blood, the worth of his death was infinite. Therefore, the promise is sure. Uh, Holy Spirit, clothe me uh, with your power that I may preach with clarity, with joy, with conviction, and uh, grace. And may you uh, work in people's hearts, uh, make them receptive to all that is true and good and helpful that is said today. We ask for your help now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the title of my sermon, it'll be up on the screen, is Faith-Filled Words for Finishing Well. Faith-Filled Words for Finishing Well. And you can tell from the title um, that one of the preordained, this is kind of a big, big point. Oh yeah, Bergen Kids, I see one of the kids running. Bergen Kids, you guys can head, to, head back to the, to the class as well. Um, one of the, the preordained means that God has set up to preserve your individual heart's faith and trust and love in Jesus, one of, the, one of the preordained means that God has set up to preserve your faith to the end of your life is the encouragement from other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to unpack this text a little bit more differently than maybe you've seen before. Rather than going straight through 12, 13, and 14, I'm actually going to start in verse 14 and work my way backwards. And that's actually okay as long as I'm sticking with the logic of the text. Okay? And before I go to verse 14, I just want to make a, a brief comment about verses 12 and 13. If you just look at verses 12 and 13, they are serious and they are urgent. They are, they are, it, verse 12 and 13, it is not messing around. It, the tone is serious. The tone is weighty. It grabs your attention. It says, take care. Watch out. Look out. For evil, unbelieving, evil, unbelieving hearts on the inside. Watching out for something inside of you that might drag you away from Christ. Exhort one another. Talks about the deception of sin and your heart's becoming hard. This is this is serious. This is these are anybody who preaches 12 and 13 in a cavalier, casual way is dishonoring the text. And verse 14 is the cause of the seriousness of verses 12 and 13. Verse 14 is the reason, the basis, the ground, that, that it's the soil that's causing all that's being said. In verses 12 and 13. And we know that if you just look at the first word, look at the first word in verse 14. For. It means because, since. Anytime you see that word in the Bible, this is a little Bible study lesson here. Anytime you see that word in the Bible, you should either mentally circle it, box it, or you should literally circle it in a box. If you look at my wife's Bible, she's got boxes all over Paul's letters with for and therefore and since and so that in order that. Anytime you see that word, it means a reason for what comes before is coming. So for example, if I hit simple, simple lesson. I'm hungry for I didn't eat breakfast. 
Right? What comes after four is the cause for my hunger. I didn't eat breakfast. That's causing the hunger that I'm talking about in verse 12. So verse 14 is the cause or the reason for all the urgency in verses 12 and 13. So what's, what's up with verse 14? What's up with verse what's, what's What is, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, by the way, so I'm going to keep saying the writer of Hebrews. So what's, what's the writer of Hebrews trying to say in verse 14? Let's, let's dive right in. Verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. And then he says, if. It's a condition. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Look at the first phrase. That phrase, share in Christ. That's talking about our union with Christ. It's salvation language. It's the moment that that the Holy Spirit of God in his power and divine authority, the third person of the Trinity, goes into your heart as the word of God is being preached and it awakens your heart and you lay hold of the Son of God in faith. And the Spirit of God unites you, connects you. You now share in Christ. Everything that is Christ's is now yours for free. Just by faith. This is salvation language. But he says, we have come to share in Christ. This is be some technical jargon here, but you guys are smart. Have come. That's in the perfect tense. That means it's something that's already completed. Done. Nothing else needs to be done. It's been done and completed in the past, and it still has a present effects today. If I say I have made dinner, it's already been made, but it's still hot and warm, ready for you to eat. And then he adds this little condition. If we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence for him to the end. This phrase here is talking about, this is why I use in my t- this di- the title of my sermon, Finishing Well. If we hold our original confidence, the, the moment that you first believed in Christ, we just had baptisms last week, amen, that was a wonderful, wonderful time. These people come and they're professing their faith in Christ. And some more recent than others. The moment you believe, that's the original confidence. Holding on to that to the end is the condition for those who have come to share in Christ. Now here, here's what's interesting. As I was staring at this text this week, what boggled my mind is this. How can something that's already true of me depend on something I do in the future? What? We have come to share in Christ. Done, finished, mine, forever. If I hold my original confidence firm to the end. Well, you just said it's already true of me, so how can, I, how can something true, already true depend on something I do in the future? That's weird. It would, make, it would seem to make more sense if you said, we will share in Christ if we hold our confidence to the end. Future tense, future tense. So what's he saying? What's he mean? This can only make sense if the thing that I do in the future merely verifies and validates and proves what was already true of me. If you're like, I think I understand what you're saying, here's an example, okay? Someone, come, someone in this church come to you, comes to you and says, 
I'm the fastest guy in this church. I'm the fastest woman in this church. That's true of me. And you're like, well, tomorrow we're going to line up everyone on the line and we're going to see who really is the fastest person. That's the future, right? So they said, I am the fastest person. And they know it. And then you do the race. Your gun goes off. And sure enough, they run. I win. They go, go off, and the person wins. That was something done in the future. And it verified when they won the race, it didn't make them all of a sudden become the fastest person. It simply verified that what they said to you yesterday was true. If I hold my original confidence firm to the end, if I hold on to Christ to the end, it does not make me become a sharer in Christ. It was already true. And if I make it to the end across the finish line, embracing Christ with all the infinite joy that awaits me, He's like, see, you were in me the whole time, and I was holding you fast, and here's the proof. You're standing before me now. Friends, if you are in Christ, if you are sharing in Christ today, you are secure in Christ. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor nakedness, famine, nor sword, nor anything else in all creation could separate you from the love of Christ. Paul the Apostle says in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, he does not say, I'm optimistic that, I hope that. He says, I am sure, you can write it down, I'm sure of this, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That's the end. He is sure Well, the natural question is what happens if someone leaves Christianity? I'm sure some of you guys know people. I've had people in my growth group who have said family members who've left the faith. What's up with that? And here's my pastoral encouragement. Rather than let your experience interpret Scripture, let Scripture interpret your experience. Listen, 1 John 2.19. You should write this down and come back to it a lot. This is talking about people who have left Christianity. The Apostle John refers to them as antichrist. It's not talking about the antichrist, it's anti people who are against Jesus. And they were in the church and then they left. Here's what he says. It won't be up on the screen, so just listen carefully. But they, those who left, went out from us, but they were not of us. How do you know that? For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us. Why? That it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is crystal clear. If you're, in Christ, if you're a share in Christ, I once, I used to teach at back, I don't know, eight years ago, I taught at a Christian school and there was this kid, I forget his name, he came to me just like trembling and almost in tears and his brother, his older brother went off to college, left Christianity and normally we say, how could he, what he, he was concerned about was, could I lose it? Could, could I lose my salvation? And this is what I counseled him with. I said, brother, if you're in Christ, he will hold you fast. And if you see anyone depart, have no fear. 
It simply proves they never truly were. The Holy Spirit of God truly had not brought them in. They never were in. So plead with them. Plead with the Holy Spirit would awaken their hearts and bring them in for the first time truly. And remember, verse 14, now we're back to the, remember verse 14, this is the cause, this is the basis for all the seriousness, the warnings and the commands and the, in verse 12 and 13. Here's how the argument works. We have come to share in Christ. And when we make it to the end, that'll prove that we were in Christ. Because of this, look at verse 13. Because of verse 14, verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. He gives you a command. He doesn't say, because of this, sit back, relax, and just wait and see who's the true ones. He says, do this. Exhort one another. Get get next to other brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage one another. Now the question is, you should be asking is this. If I'm already in Christ and I'm going to make it to the end, why does it matter that I obey verse 13? I'm already, going to be, I'm already making it to the end, so who cares? If my place in Christ, if me sharing in Christ is secure, and me making it to the end simply verifies, who cares about verse, 12, verse 13? Why are you telling me to do this stuff? It's like when people say, if God controls all things, why pray? If he predetermines everything, why should we pray? makes no sense. And this is, this could probably be one of the most uh, important, you should download this into your theological hardware. Here's a statement. God predetermines the end result and he predetermines the means to bring about that result. Not just the end. He's involved in everything. People think that just because I am in Christ, if I, if, just because God determines what will happen in the future, like me sharing in Christ and being preserved for the end, Paul said, I am sure of this. God determines that. So, whatever. They do not realize that God has also set up necessary means to make sure that that happens. And they have to do those things to do the thing that God has determined. Here's an example. If Jesus comes to me tomorrow, shows up on my doorstep, and he says, Mike, tomorrow you will be in Norman, Oklahoma. That's where I was born and raised. I say this all the time. Oklahoma is a real state. It's a real place. People live there. We don't, we don't live in teepees, okay? People... Someone has asked me that before. It's very strange. Um, Jersey's no cooler than Oklahoma, all right? Um, sorry, forgive me for that. Sorry. Please forgive me for that. I was just, I was not in the manuscript and I went off. God, Jesus comes to me and says, you're going to be in Norman, Oklahoma tomorrow. And if I were to, it'd be foolish of me to say, okay, well, great. I'm going to go sit on the couch, watch Netflix, and somehow you're just going to magically make me teleport to Oklahoma. And he would say, no, you're going to get off your butt 
and you're going to go to the Uber that I have determined to show up at your house. You're going to get in the Uber. You're going to drive to the airport, and you're going to sit down in verse 13, uh, excuse me, in uh, seat, verse, seat 13B. You're going to fly to Oklahoma, and you're going to get off the plane, and you're going to land, sit down on the sacred ground of Oklahoma. Just because we have come to share in Christ... And just because those who have come to share in Christ will make it to the end, and making it to the end simply verifies that does not mean you can sit back and relax. It means that you must put yourself in the preordained means, the things that he's commanded you in verse 13, because the things he commands in verse 13 are what he's going to use to carry you to the end. And what does he say in verse 13? Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. God, in his infinite wisdom, has predetermined the faith. He has the faith-filled words of encouragement. Like the words that come out of our mouths. To be the very thing that he uses to finish you well. Of all things, though, why exhortation? He could have said, go to church every Sunday. He could have said, read your Bible every day. He could have said, pray every day. He could have said, do good things. Exhortation, encouragement. Why, of all things, why encouragement? And the answer has to do with what is preventing you from finishing well. Look at the end, second half of verse 13 with me. I'll read verse 13 from the beginning. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's sin. Sin inside of you is trying to prevent you from making it to the end. It, does, it doesn't even want you to listen to what I'm saying now. Sin right now is enticing you, alluring you to other things that aren't necessarily sinful. Just, I got another this, that, this, that, this. I mean, I wake up in the morning to, to read my Bible and pray, and immediately I'm thinking about just stuff everywhere. And I'm like, how did I, how, how did I even begin thinking about these things? And I'm like, what? And, I, and I'm like, Lord, help me focus on you. I'm reading my Bible. I'm like, I start thinking about it. I'm like, what? How did this happen? Sin is constantly getting you off the path. And how does sin accomplish this? It lays out sins. Uh, what, do, what, do I, what do I say? What it uses to, to get you off. I would call this the anatomy of apostasy. Apostasy meaning when you leave your faith. What's the anatomy of that? Step one, sin deceives you. Verse 13b, excuse me, second half of verse 13. By the deceitfulness of sin. What's deception? It's a false promise. Sin comes to you and says, God cannot promise you joy. I will. You think God will make you happy? Let me show you what can really make you happy. It's a false promise of deception. And when you give in to that, it's usually through small compromises, small little nibbles. 
And just as a snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you ever see someone just all of a sudden you're like, you hear some like crazy scandal in the church and you're like, you think that happened overnight? That happened five years ago. He made one silly decision. She made one silly decision that led to another, led to another, led to another, led to another. And before you know, their life is destroyed. And people are like, how did this happen? It was happening in quiet and secret, hidden sin. Sin deceives you. Step two, it hardens you. After you give in to that, right? It says in verse 13, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives you, which results in hardening. What's hardening? Your heart becomes, your heart becomes numb. Begins to lose its feeling and appetite for Jesus. It begins to grow in its hunger and longings for more sin of what it was deceiving you with. Step three, unbelief. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest it be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. As the hardening grows, the numbness grows, you begin finding yourself not really believing anything. I don't really believe anything this Bible says. Jesus, unbelief takes over and it's described as evil, evil, unbelieving heart. And if you don't believe anything, you might as well just fall away. Leading you to, verse 12, evil, unbelieving heart, second half, leading you to fall away. That's the end result. What does it start with? What does the whole process start with? Deception. And this brings us back to our original question. Why, why exhortation? What's the best thing? What's the best thing to combat a deception? Is for another brother or sister to come alongside of you and say, that's a lie. Here's the truth. Exhortation literally means to call someone next to you, get alongside of them, and speak gospel truth to them. Sin offers you the fleeting, silly, empty pleasures of the world. And the exhortation of a brother says, comes alongside you and offers something infinitely better. The grace, the beauty, the grandeur, the majesty of Jesus Christ clothed in the beauty of his gospel. His death for you. His triumphant resurrection for you. His perfect life for you. His intercession at the, at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding for you. And the hope of glory that is yours today, it will be yours soon. That's the best way to combat the deceptive power of sin. That's why it's so foolish to live the Christian life, it's, the, it's so foolish to do the Christian thing by yourself. Because sin, it, it needs isolation and you're constantly being deceived. If you're cutting yourself off from others, others can't come to you and say, you're being deceived, brother. You're believing the lie, sister. Come back to Christ. But people usually just say, nah, I'm good, I'm okay. Listen to, um, I found two other references. I looked up what was the original word for exhort. 
in verse 13. I, had my, I have this little software, Bible software called Accordance, and I looked up two other references that use that exact same word. Listen to these two. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, encourage one another, same word, and build one another up just as you were doing. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? That it, what is it? The encouraging talk. That it may give grace to those who hear. People use this verse to like combat cussing. Let no corrupting talk, like don't say bad words, just say good things. And they leave out the second half. What's the whole purpose of giving encouragement? So people can get grace. You, okay, you are saved by and you are preserved by. Where do you get this grace from? From the encouragement of brothers. It says it in the stinking text. That it may give grace. The words you, are you feeling the intensity of this? Like the very encouragement that I say out of my mouth is literally God's using that to give more of the grace of the gospel in someone else's heart to combat the deceptive power of sin and to keep them holding fast the original confidence to the end. <laughs> it's incredible. God has, pre back to my big theological point, God has preordained that those who share in Christ finish well through the faith-filled words of encouragement of other Christians. What does this look like? It's not Sunday. Sunday's great, but it's not talking about Sunday worship or else it wouldn't say every day. So it's outside of Sunday. And it wouldn't say exhort means to call near, right? I'm just preaching to you. One another, one another, calling near one another. This is side-by-side -side intimate little interactions, it's not Bible reading and prayer or else it wouldn't say exhort one another. I read my Bible and pray by myself. So the person who says, I go to church on Sunday, read my Bible and pray, so I'm good, this, the writer here would say, well, that's great, but I'm not talking about that, and you're actually not good. I'm talking about something else. In other words, I don't know of a more, of a stronger biblical justification for small groups. I don't know. What else could this mean? It can't, surely it doesn't mean, well, I like hang out with Christian friends every now and then, and my family's Christians, are Christians. Let me ask you, when you just like go out to eat with Christians and you hang out with your Christian family, is there legit intentional gospel encouragement constantly happening? Is that actually happening? So clearly, this is talking about an intentional gathering, of an intimate gathering, where there's intentionally, the discussion is intentionally to be encouraging to one another. This is why we do growth groups. Do you think we're just, okay. Unfortunately, we have think that like, Small group ministry is just like something that churches do. It's just more stuff. I would hope that a church would do it 
because their, their, their theological reasoning behind it is this is our feeble attempt to set up the lanes so people can walk in obedience to Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. I'm basically done with my sermon. Um, so my application portion will simply be, I just want to talk briefly about growth groups and then I'll pray. Okay? Um, what are growth groups and why do we, this is why we do what we do. First thing about growth groups is all of our, the, all, the whole leadership does it. Every elder and their wives do it. My wife is having a baby in three weeks, so she's not going to do one this semester, so you can just not worry about her, okay? <laughs> um, Pastor Mike leads one. I'm leading one. Pastor John Ida leads one. Pastor Don leads one. And their wives lead one. We believe in this. We're not excused from this. Uh, number two, we call them growth groups, not small or community or cell, because we, uh, to communicate the ultimate purpose. We want people to grow in their relationship with Christ and other people. We call the elevator definition of growth groups is a place where friends help friends follow Jesus. You're just a friend helping another friend. Hold fast your confidence firm to the end. That's all you're doing. And we do them in three semesters, fall, winter, spring. The reason why we do semesters is because we want to give the leaders this rhythm of stress and rest. The healthiest, healthiest rhythms are stress going hard for a season, and then resting. That's just common, basic knowledge for healthy rhythms. We also do semesters to provide easier on-off ramps for people coming into the church. Uh, if a new person comes to us and they say, hey, can I start a growth group? Sure, you've got to commit for the entire year. Whoa. But if we say, oh, well, we're doing a spring semester, it's just eight weeks. Can you do that? One night a week for eight weeks. Okay, I, th I think I can do that. And an off-ramp, right? Sometimes you get in a growth group and it just doesn't work. They're whatever, like you, you join the group and you're like, hmm, this wasn't a good fit for me. And so at the end of the semester, you can, you can just back out and join a different one. No hard feelings, right? But the ultimate goal is to try groups and find the one that fits for you. When you find the one, stick with it. And if you stick with it for a long time, that's awesome. We don't want people to just constantly, the goal is not for people to bounce around. The goal is to bounce for a time and then find the one that fits for your personal growth. Most, almost all of our groups meet every week because that's surely what at least means by every day. When it says one another day by day, surely that at least means uh, once a week. And this is kind of interesting. I read a book last year by a guy named Jack Schaefer, PhD in behavior analysis and recruiting spies. He used to be an ex-FBI agent. <laughs> so he has his, he's like an expert in friendship. Strange. He actually has a friendship formula. What all friendships need is this thing called intensity, meaning the depth of the interaction. So you're not just talking about sports. I'm not judging sports, but you're not just talking about sports. You're talking about the deeper the conversation goes, the more honest you are, the better the friendship. And one of the most important things to develop the intensity is frequency. The more times you interact with people, the, the, better, the quicker that development can go. This is why when you haven't seen someone for a long time, it's kind of awkward, right? An old college buddy has been like two years, and you see each other, it's like, oh, hey, uh, how you doing? Because their frequency has been very low. We've also found that if someone misses one week, you don't see them for the next month, and sin is too deceptive, and the hearts can be hardened too quickly for a whole entire month to go by for not to see someone. All of our groups are sermon, uh, excuse me, not sermon-based, all of our groups are based around the Word of God, uh, so after a, a Pastor Mike or I preach a sermon, 
Uh, I will go um, the next day on Monday. I'll create a sermon study guide, get it emailed to all the leaders, and they will use that to center all of their, their groups around. There's other Bible studies as well. Um, for time's sake, because um, I want to give you guys time to do group connect after, after worship. Um, there are some objections that people have. They don't have, have enough time, uh, but you, time naturally goes to what you value most. Time is like money. It flows to the things you value. And what this is talking about is something that's infinitely valued, so surely you'd want to devote time to that. Number two, people say, I've already tried a small group or a girl group, but I didn't like it. Uh, my response is, that's kind of like the person who says, I've tried a restaurant, I didn't like the food, so I'm never going to a restaurant again. Right? It just means that one was just not a good fit, so just try another one. And typically, if someone didn't have a good experience, it could be because it was an unhealthy group and there was just bad things happening. But I would say more times than not is because either they didn't show up every time or they showed up late a lot or they didn't participate or they didn't participate honestly. You get out what you put in. It's, it's, it's the truth. Uh, people say, I'm doing okay. But typically, our, our, the basis for I'm doing okay is based upon our feelings. And when have our feelings ever been a reliable indicator of our spiritual health? Uh, a lot of people say it's just not a good season. That, that's probably the best excuse, I think. Uh, you just have a baby or whatever. Your, your work schedule is crazy. I would say this, though. Just make sure you're not using it's, it's not a good season as an excuse, as a cover-up for your own comfort. Um, and typically, when do we need encouragement the most? in tough seasons. Um, sin thrives in isolation. It festers when you're alone. Uh, so when you're in a, gro- a growth group, you're combating that. It's your, your attempt to fight against it. Sin, my wife and I read an article on Desiring God, and one of the points was sin is smarter than you. When you're being deceived, you don't know it. But other people see it, and they can tell you. Um, so, The encouragement of other Christians is the God's preordained means of preserving us, those who are truly sharing in Christ to the very end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this text and this uh, encouraging word. We thank you, Jesus, that uh, uh, by your uh, death and resurrection, you have purchased the the power of the Spirit to work in us, to keep us to the end. Help us to Uh, Take heed the warnings here. Take our sins seriously and to um, urgently uh, make sure that we are with other brothers and sisters in Christ to uh, hold us firm to the end. We thank you for these promises and truths in Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.